gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all sizes, shapes, creeds, colors. I'm Jake Newton, and this is Shark Brain, episode 15. Guys, we did it this time. The Newton clan. We, were, we said to ourselves, you know what? Everyone else kind of goes down this one path. Down the beaten path of, of let's just accept what society says to us and eat as much as we possibly can. It's not Thanksgiving without all the trimmings. We said to ourselves, that is a lie. We're not going to do that. We're going to go the other way. We're countercultural, us Newtons. We, we forge paths in ways and, and instances that no one else has thought before. We're, we're that way. And so, I'm pleased to announce, no, I'm not. We ate like pigs. We ate like great big, disgusting, pre-carb load before the Black Friday mess of schmet of death pigs. There really wasn't an end to a meal and then a beginning of another. It just was this long fever dream of mastication. My teeth have city miles on them. I really put them through their paces. My dentist is going to be looking at me in shock. I think I wore them down to the nub. Just eating, 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 eating. And then talking for a little bit and then eating. I, 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 I got, I was really angry at the fact that we had to talk midway through eating because it was taking away from the eating time. You, you get to this point in your biological makeup. I don't know if you're like this. I'm sure some of you are and some of you aren't. But I think for me, where you just lull your body into some weird kind of trance-like state where it always has to be passing food through its system. And if it isn't, it somehow feels restless and that it's not fulfilling its basic right as an organism on the earth to turn perfectly good food that's unnecessary for caloric consumption into human waste. That is where I'm at right now. As a matter of fact, it's so sick and so twisted that on my way back from a 72-hour Bacchanalian eat-along-a-thon that we call it at the Newton House, I stopped at 9.59 to go to the fresh and easy around the corner from my house and get ice cream because I hadn't had it in a while. Like I needed it. You know what I need right now? A stiff finger to the back of my throat and a toilet. That's what I need. But I, I, I actually had to talk the, I had to talk the guy into letting me in to fresh and easy to buy ice cream. They close at 10. It's 9.59. Like, come on, man. That's just ice cream. I'll be right there. I, I, I not only did I, casually wanted i actually ran through like indiana jones grabbing his hat from underneath that rolling granite slab i and i was really proud of myself and then i ran all the way to the back of course i was winded of course i was winded because i ate the equivalent of an entire poultry farm while i was up at my parents house and i came back and now i sit here with mucus in the back of my throat on uh on pounding through this ice cream like i'm trying to hide it like it's anne frank and i'm hiding it from the nazis that's, um, <laughs> I'm going to hide you in my tummy so no one can find you. That's where I'm at right now. So, needless to say, not really feeling very good about me right now. But I, I think I'm going to aid that. I'm going to get back on my hypervigilant, neurotic, melancholic self. I'm going to make lists for myself and I'm going to wake up every morning and I'm going to run three to five miles and then I'll do weight training in the afternoon and I will eat... And nothing but arugula and uh, grilled chicken with a little bit of lemon on it for the next mm, three or four weeks before I have another blowout near the time of Christ's birth. 
it's kind of what I do. I'm going to pray that nobody gets the smart idea to bring over chocolate. Ah, ebb and flow, boys and girls. Ebb and flow. That's the name of the game. One thing about being up at the Newton family clan get-together that was good is I got to interview the current guest of this week's podcast, Lee Newton, my kid's sister. Some of you may know that my my sister actually works as a comedian in Hollywood on a show called SourceFed that you can find on YouTube, but also at the Groundlings Theater. She's a member of the Sunday Company, which is no small feat. No small feat at all. I mean, uh, there's Adam Carolla, um, Michael McDonald from Mad TV, Jennifer Coolidge, uh, Phil Lamar, John Lovitz. All these huge, huge names in comedy have actually come through this particular little theater on uh, Melrose Boulevard. It's kind of a farm for SNL amongst, you know, UCB and and uh, Second City and a lot of other places. It's one of the kind of leading leading places to go if you have that idea of what you want to do. And she does. And she does a great job of it. You can check out her work at SourceFed.com. Again, and uh, on I'll put up with this at Shark Brain Podcast where you can find her stuff. But a lot of you are coming here because you know her already. She's got a huge internet following of rabid, rabid fans. So... Yes, we will get to that. Um, I wanted to cover a little bit of business before I get into all of that. One thing to tell you, that on the 13th and 14th of December, I'm going to be participating at the Ho Hotel Cafe Spark for Love uh, Toy Drive, wherein you come, you pay your ticket to see the show, and it's a lineup of uh, 20 or 30 acts per night. Um, really great acts. Uh, we're all going to be doing this Christmas party you can attend, and and we sing in songs all night. And we take every bit of the money that comes in from the ticket sales and we all go out to Toys R Us and buy toys for kids that are unable to buy them for themselves. It's one of the most fun things to do. If you feel like doing charity, if you feel like uh, giving to in, in the Christmas spirit and the holiday spirit, the pantheistic holiday spirit, then I most certainly would recommend you coming out, hearing some great music of whom I'm going to be a member of that great music. And uh, then you can, uh, yeah, put your money where your I don't know where you're going to put your money. Listen, don't put your money where your mouth is, because money's filthy. It's absolutely gross. Anyway, I digress. The show last week went really well. It was lightly attended. I always worry about attendance. I feel like I'm some sort of bean counter when it comes to that sort of a thing. I can't actually enjoy the doing of the work. I constantly obsess over how many people are out in the crowd. Not because I, I'm i obsessed over the money, but like how, how, how many people is this hitting? Who's out there? What I'm The reactions from the crowd, what should I be expecting? Because I don't know, is that a 15-member clapping crowd? Is that a 100-member clapping crowd? It's the strangest thing because you, you get this sense when you make art and you hone it. And, you, and some people feel the inherent joy and desire from making the art. I, I kind of do, but for me... I, I want to share it and I want to show it with somebody. So I, I was obsessed with the numbers and I, I think I let that um, get me down a little bit uh, initially, but I was able to get through it and we had a lot of noisy A&R people from the show before us. And uh, sometimes you just got to, sometimes you got to put A&R people in their place. A few of my friends are A&R people, but uh, they're not these kind of people. We're talking about, we're talking about these, uh, the vacuous entertainment types. You know, you gotta kinda, so I did. I, I was really proud of myself. I, halfway through, um, between songs, I, I told him, listen, um, you can leave. It's 
total, that option's completely available to you. But if you're going to stay, you can't talk because we're making magic up here. I, I'm paraphrasing. I don't really remember what I said. I have recorded it. I, I suppose I could go back and, and give you line for line what happened. But it was a big moment for me because uh, I, I usually don't ever say boo to a goose when it comes to that kind of a thing. Um, and I've seen a lot of people when you, you've got talkers, especially when you're playing the kind of music that I play and, and my friends play and, and, and those those people who, who come around the folk scene, you, it doesn't, you can't really abide with talking. It, uh, it kind of requires abject attention, which is harder and harder to gain these days. But, but to try to do it when someone else is talking, it, it's almost like comedy. It just, it, it really doesn't work. There's a cognitive dissonance that happens and everybody begins to kind of over the shoulder or wherever they are, look at the person that's talking in the room and it becomes a thing of a, a, a fight between whether or not you can actually earn the attention of the yakkers in the room by the virtue of what you're playing and what you're doing, or if you have to cut bait and uh, tell them to leave. And I actually was able to tell them to leave. I felt really good about that. It was a step in my lack of, and my lack of assertion and uh, codependence with other people's feelings, especially strangers. So that's a little slice of me that's going on. Hey, we'll get into a little bit of that with my kid sister, Lee Newton. I am a very, very proud big brother. She's amazing. Here we go. On the one, the only, Shark Brain. All right. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, Smash. Welcome ah, to Shark Brain. Welcome to me. Yeah, those of you... <laughs> Those of you at home don't know that we tried to get this thing to work up at my parents' house. My dad's got a blue microphone, and it's not our normal setup, so no. it's taken about seven or eight different tries. We're to also get this in going. a shed. We're also in the shed on <laughs> on the Newton compound property. <laughs> not the kind of shed that says, you know, hey, keep them on the shortlist for the FBI most wanted. Yeah. But the kind of shed that kind of says, you know what, you know, maybe my teenage son can live in here. He doesn't really <laughs> seem to have a preference. He doesn't mind, does mm. he? We got wood in here. Yeah. It looks campy. It's ca- it's very campy. It's a tool shed that's been converted into a an, a a, a, a room, bedroom. A room. It's kind of an allegory for most of my first eighteen years. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> so, Smash, you were born in Oregon when we were yes. living there. Yes, I was born in Grants Pass, Oregon, mm-hmm. and then uh, we moved to Clovis for a couple of years, and then we moved to Oakhurst. And then slowly decided to reside in Coarse Gold, California. Which, for those of you that have no idea what that is, we just say Yosemite. Mm-hmm. Yosemite. Yosemite, the national park. And they because go, you live there? People live there? And I go, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't go any further than that. No, you don't. Because <laughs> the connotation of Yosemite has got twofold things. You've yeah. got Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, yeah. You've got the massive, huge, volcanic... Um, I'm not volcanic, but uh, no, the, glacial, the glacial rocks. rocks yeah. You, you know, got the, John Muir. You John, got John Muir. You got Yosemite Sam. Yeah, it's a really big deal. If you say coarse gold, it sounds like there's one mule that's kicking itself. <laughs> Which is actually very true. It's the true. kicking mule. He's uh, standing right outside mm-hmm. the Mexican restaurant, <laughs> and he's doing a really great job. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that we do have mules in coarse gold. But yeah, if you say anything, it sounds yeah. pretty rough. And then it sounds like we've got livestock that are World War II veterans. <laughs> is what it sounds like. Right. Instead, it's just bobcats and horses. Mm-hmm. 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 It's beautiful. So we grew up there. Now you followed me down to L.A. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. I, I followed you down uh, when I was 19 because you'd already been out there for a couple of years mm-hmm. and I decided that was something I wanted to do too. And actually, Jake was probably the reason I got into acting because you were so dang good at it in high school and I was like, oh, that seems like it'd be a lot of fun. And then you had we had a really wonderful drama teacher that was really mm-hmm. wonderful and so I got into it after that and 
and kind of took over that side of the theater as well. And then we were the Newton kids, and then I followed you down to L.A. Mm-hmm. And it was actually technically Pasadena, yeah, which is not L.A. at all. Well, for that's that's that for LA. for kids that grew up in the one horse town. The, yeah, the to go down and to do the mitigating it was a huge deal. There the was d- like traffic and freeway signs. You're not going to move down to no. the middle of Hollywood, California. No. You know, like, no. like the opening scenes of Pretty Woman, where the <laughs> black guy goes, you know, welcome to Hollywood. What's your dream? You're not going to do that. You're going to have a mitigating factor of about ten miles, yeah. which is just for Pasadena for about forty minutes, and then you can go and to beautiful Hollywood yeah. and then get terrified and come screeching come, back come back to and you. then go to your big box stores because they're familiar <laughs> yeah. yeah so you were down here you came down when you were 19 and yeah. and um, up until recently yes. there wasn't really a whole lot of huge success that you'd been doing no right? not yeah. really and yeah. I yeah I hadn't really I think I'd done the like illusion I think a lot of people come out to LA and do a weird thing of like I'm gonna come out there and I'm gonna do everything and then they realize like it's a lot of hard work and you have to do 98% of it mm-hmm. so then you just get overwhelmed and you don't Mm-hmm. You know, and so yeah, up until recently, I hadn't really done much. But in the last couple of years, I we started doing a show called SourceFed, mm-hmm. which is an internet news show, and mm-hmm. it's news presented in a satirical way, is what I always say. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and that's been pretty fun too. And then I I auditioned five years ago for Groundlings, and that was another thing that Jake did, and he was like, "You should try and do it." And I said, "Okay." And so we auditioned because I remember we used to always grow up watching SNL, and mm-hmm. we would. Uh, that was our one thing together was our parents didn't have TV at all, Mm-mm. at all, and they'd broken the knob off on PBS, so Jake and I would sit there and take turns holding the antenna to watch SNL. I remember that. And yeah, and we'd yeah. sit there and we'd watch it, and so that was a real big dream of mine to try out for the Groundlings, because that's where SNL got their people, and that seemed to be the path, and then five years ago I auditioned, and then recently I got on the Sunday Company team, so that yeah. was a... I do a weekly Sunday show there. It's yeah. wonderful. So yeah. what's the Sunday company? for? There's a lot of people out there that don't know what the deal is with Groundlings and what the structure is yeah. and how and, and who's gone through it. Uh, well, a lot of people have gone through it. I mean, it, anywhere from the beginning where it was, you know, Chris Kattan, Will Ferrell, um, even back in the day, you know, there was Lorraine Newman and, like, all those, you know, big deals in that sense. Um, I'm trying to think of more people that have been through it. Phil Hartman. But Phil Hartman, yeah. Phil Hartman was a real big one from there. But Will Ferrell, Kristen Wiig... Um, Maya Rudolph, Michaela Watkins is on a whole bunch of stuff now. Jim Rash, who just won an Oscar, he's on, he was on the main company now. And pretty much anyone who's anyone, Taryn Killam on SNL, Nassim Pedrad on SNL, you know, uh, Chris Parnell, all of those people came out of the Groundlings. And mm-hmm. it's kind of where they used to, and they still do a lot, harvest their people for doing that. And the reason why is because during Sunday Company, where there's Sunday Company and then there's Main Company, and Sunday Company is a constant structure where... Wednesday night, you uh, you are pitching a sketch that you wrote, and it's not just one. You're going to pitch about four to six sketches that you've written throughout the week, and then um, you get notes from your director, and then your director tells you the next day pretty much what's in the show on Sunday, which is the Sunday company, i.e., um, And then basically Thursday you're getting a rewrite list. And so you have to rewrite it Thursday and give it to your cast Friday. And Saturday you get your costumes ready. And Sunday you do a show and it's that way every single week for six months. And then unless until you get voted into another six months, if you do at all, if you don't get cut from the program. And and it's pretty intense that you're just sitting there and you're pitching hundreds of sketches constantly. Mm -hmm. But you basically have from Wednesday to Sunday to put up a baby and then rewrite that baby and get that baby on its feet. And then you get to do it in front of a hundred people that paid and and will laugh if you let them, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you allow them to laugh. And so it's kind of a wonderful experience. It's, you know, probably the best thing I've ever done, but... 
yeah, it's it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work, man. And yeah. how, and how is that different from the actual regular company? Is it just the farm league? Um, yeah, it's basically just to you know, kind of. I think it's to weed out and see if those people are prepared. And the main company, what they do for a show is they'll you know get they'll prepare for months to pitching all these different things. You know, pitching about fifty sketches, and then they'll boil it down to fifteen, and then they'll do that show that they know works for about two months. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're doing new content twenty four seven. 365, mm-hmm. you know, every week it's a different show. Every week it's a new thing. And it's a, it, it, you know, you have to start pumping out creatively and producing creatively mm-hmm. at such a rapid pace that it, I guess the one thing it does teach you is how you can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, looking at it on paper, you're like, there's no way. There's just no way I can do write four sketches a week and do this and find the time. And you just do. You find mm-hmm. a way. The brain in, is a magical thing. And you kind of realize how if you love something, you can easily do it. Yeah. yeah. Now, one thing, Smash, I have noticed af- after uh, seeing you in several different shows and seeing several different people go up there and eat an enormous bag of dicks <laughs> yeah. while trying to make something <laughs> yeah. funny is uh, is that a lot of people, they will second-guess themselves and they will be like that uh, that squirrel in the middle of the road and they go like, oh, no, it's this way. No, it's that way. It's, I'm, I'm absurdist. No, I'm satire. I'm, yeah. I, 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 and they get in, there in the middle and they realize that they, like, they get to the end and they go like, we need a punchline, and then it just dies yeah. and dies. Do you think yeah. that? Do you think there's something specifically special to you and your experience as a person that has kept you from second guessing yourself and just tearing off, regardless of whether or not you think it's the oh, right decision? Yeah, I think. I mean, well, I, you know, from a very young age, because you know, I had heart problems growing up, and I think mm-hmm. you know, you know this as well as like. It, from seven years old, I, I remember making a choice. There was a little girl screaming in a be- hospital bed next to me, and I was sitting there overwhelmed and in a lot of pain, and I decided to make the nurse laugh. And from that moment on, I was like, oh, this is so much easier. Mm-hmm. Comedy is so much easier. So for me, it's kind of been a real battle of, like, comedy's mine. That's something that I've always known I've had. You mm-hmm. know, it's like everything else you can, you know... In, in society, there's a sexual degradation of women. There's a constant boiling it down to whether or not something we have something to offer, whether or not women are funnier than men, and mm-hmm. all this bullshit. But at the end of the day, comedy is something that I know I have. Yeah. You know, that's mine. That has been my solace. That's been my release. And, mm-hmm. and I honestly think, like, if there was going to be one purpose in this world that I was put on there for, it was to make people laugh. Mm-hmm. There was one, you know, rapper guy on, on YouTube called Hoodie Allen. And he said it, and it stuck with me so hard, but he was like, I cannot change people's mind, but I can change their mood. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's me. You know, mm-hmm. I know I know. at the end of the day, any any bullshit that I have about any, you know, whether I'm Democrat, whether or not I'm liberal, whether or not I'm whatever I feel, it doesn't matter, because I'm not going to be able to change your mind, but I can make you laugh, and I can totally put you in a, you know, stream of conscious mm-hmm. of happy for at least five minutes. Well, I think that's true, too, but I also think that you can, in, in a subvertive way, like, basically bringing people along, building something up. I mean, there's all the people like Richard Pryor, there's people yeah. like Lenny Bruce. Oh, yeah. All those guys that would be able to, they were able to take their own worldview, and they make you laugh, because they say, like, this is this is the context from which you are laughing from because I gave you the verisimilitude, I gave you the yes. world in which you know, and yeah. so this is and so this is what is so absurd about that. It's George Carlin being able to you know to those. pinpoint those things that we all know we find funny, mm-hmm. and we all know why we find it funny, but it's just not until someone puts a magnifying glass on it or puts mm-hmm. it into a perspective that we go, oh, that's why it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. So you know, like. That's why there's a certain game being too overwhelming is a really funny four-minute sketch yeah. because we've all been there. We've been that person second-guessing every single thing that we're doing yeah, yeah. in Monopoly. You mm-hmm. know, like, it's. I think it's kind of a magical thing to be able to be a voice for, you know, that, mm-hmm. to be, like, a voice for what is funny. Yeah, I had this... Uh argument discussion with mm-hmm. Heather, my wife, who uh, we were basically saying, um, I was saying to her that you can't, 
you can't be an intelligent person, like a Mensa type mm-hmm. person, and not have a good sense of humor. Like whether yeah. or not, whether or not you get the context of it or not. And she says, no, no, no. I've known plenty of really smart people that don't have a sense of humor. It's like, well, maybe they just didn't have the context for what you were joking about. Well, and I think know, but- that that's what's such a beautiful thing is that humor is so subjective. That mm-hmm. it is so beyond subjective. And I know plenty of people that are incredibly intelligent and have a different that different things tickle them, but it still tickles them. Yeah, you know, it still is absolutely tickling. You know, to that point where it's like, I'm not going to get that joke that you made about algorithms, but yeah. you are dying inside, mm. you know? Yeah. And I think that's a really intense part, but I would say that that's a very strong thing that I've noticed is there's a certain social cue with humor that I think it breaks so many boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's one, that's kind of a universal language, I think, is just absolute laughter and, and humor and whether or not it's a certain specific type, whether or not it is satire, whether or not it's, you know, just finding the minutia and driving it home. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the universal language. But I would completely agree, yeah. mainly because I'm super smart. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm a genius. Because I are so smart. Because I are the smartest. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back a bit to the origin story about when you first realized when you were seven years old in the hospital bed mm-hmm. and the little girl was being was being the squeaky wheel and was not getting any grease was because... It? She was an- annoying everyone else in the, in mm-hmm. the room, you mm-hmm. know? Now, um... We we recorded this earlier, but it got erased. Um, yes. We were talking about the heart condition that you were born with, yes. which is transposition of the great vessels. Yes, transposition of the great vessels, ASD, VSD, which are all wonderful, huge, you know, uh, abbreviations for backwards heart, backwards heart, and a lot of other different messed up parts of it that mm-hmm. you know come with the idea of a backwards heart. And so, uh, naturally, my parents didn't know that I was going to be born that way, and I don't think it would have mattered either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would have been prepared. Um, yeah. <laughs> but Yeah, but at 14 days old, that's when they took me into the hospital, and it was kind of a miracle that I lasted that long, uh, 14 days, with the condition that I had. And at 14 days, I had my first open-heart surgery, and then 14 months, I had my second open-heart surgery, and then, you know, uh, seven years old, or maybe it was five, and we always talk how amazing it is that I'm an adult still, and I'm like, guys, when did I have this huge life-altering surgery? (laughs) Great. Can I go on roller coasters? (laughs) Fantastic. But yeah, so, and then at 13 years old, I had a a pretty big one, too, Mm -hmm. and so, Four open heart surgeries, and you know, I mean, I'm still here and still kicking. And it's the it's a weird thing that it's the only thing, just like it's been the only thing that you've ever known too. It's mm-hmm. the only thing I've ever known. Yeah, you know, so I don't know any different. I think people play the like bless your heart game a lot, but eh, I don't know any different. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I wouldn't change it for anything in the entire freaking world because it gave me the perspective that I have, and it's such a precious, precious thing. Mm-hmm. That, and what's that perspective like boiled down to you? Yeah, now, it's what, boiled what, down to me. And what what is, what is that perspective? Why is it's boiled down to you? Hmm. Um, I think it's just that, you know, life is just so beyond precious and it is like, it is for lack of a better term, YOLO. <laughs> you, know? you know this life might be short but you might be going but to hell for be, that i know, you know i'm so sorry but it really is like unfortunately it does really really, really <laughs> just oh, it reverberates in my soul um but it really is it's you only live you know once and it's so special and it is like it every single day is such a gift every i hear my heartbeat in my head 24 7 365 really yes it's yeah. just a constant pounding in my head mm. at night during the silence you can hear it as well you know but that's that's a little clicking metronome that i've always had to deal with but it's a constant reminder of just like i am i was given this Mm. i was given this life and i think we take that for granted a lot and we get so selfish and everything and i was given this life and i think it's just one of those things of i'm gonna make the best out of it and i'm gonna make people laugh and i'm gonna do what i you know 
know what I was here to do. There's a constant saying of destiny in my heart, and that's always just what I've had is I know I know my destiny. I know. Mm. I think a lot of people do, and I think it terrifies the crap mm. out of them. But knowing their destiny? Knowing their destiny. Yeah. Because then you actually have to, like, rise to that level. Oh, no, no. I, you know? I have that. I have that. I have that. <laughs> you thing. have that impending fear? <laughs> I have that impending I have an impending fear about everything. The other day I was debating on whether or not I could park in front of the Beverly Center in front of a, in front of a city-issued... <laughs> Meter. I was looking at all the signs, and I, just, I I stood there for twenty minutes. It was it was between auditions. I had I had I had, I had to be somewhere, and then I had to. I was just waiting around, and so I was just standing there, going like, "Well, I don't know. I don't what really can know. I do like it? maybe." If, if I, and you know what? If I put in the money, maybe it'll. it'll I mean, if I just for what an hour. What if I come? What if it eats it? What if I come back in an hour, and, I mean, and it's an hour and a minute? And I got a ticket, and I'm going like, "You put a timer on your phone. What if I don't hear my phone? You put it on vibrate. You." You were you little fuck. <laughs> Get out there and live your fucking life. It is, but again, it's like it is very overwhelming. And I, I tend to have the opposite problem with there's little things I'm like, I'll just park it here and we'll figure it out later. Mm. The car is towed balls. Mm. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there have been countless times I've gone with you to the DMV and you go like, they're being real a-holes about it. Apparently, you get 14 little tickets and they tow your car. That's happened to me so many times I know. already. Well, the good allegory for that was when one time we were actually up in the woods in Yosemite. It was yeah. a really busy day. And uh, I remember like I was I didn't want to cross the road because I was so scared. And we were you and I were supposed to be holding each other's hands. And so I was, like had my hands close to my chest looking back and forth. And you had just wandered off into the middle of the road and nearly got hit by a Tacoma. I didn't get hit, though. And you didn't get hit. And I remember being mad at you for the rest of the day because you made me even more scared. And you were kind of like going like, what's your problem? I guarantee you I had no idea. Yeah. I guarantee it was a, it's still an issue, actually, walking into the middle of traffic. <laughs> But again, I, and again, it is, you know, there's the positive and the negative side of that, whereas people are worrying about the meter eating their thing. I don't even, I park in the middle of the street, uh-huh. you know? So growing up has been a difficult thing in the sense of, you know, paperwork. Yeah. That thing is a real balls. Yeah. I went to a psychic once uh, in college and she said that uh, navigation was always going to be an issue for me. So like, mm. you know, anything where it's travel and anything, and, and yeah, as you know, I've had uh, six cars in the last five years uh-huh. and uh, so it has been an issue, but she didn't have teeth so i didn't hold anything mm-hmm. into it. i was like oh well she doesn't have teeth so <laughs> how's yeah how, how on the ball could yeah, she be about really, things really you like, didn't see that one coming you didn't see gingivitis <laughs> coming you don't have teeth ma'am she just said she said bled like, no, he's gonna, another you're teeth going to have trouble and i was like no you're gonna have trouble <laughs> you're gonna have with trouble. a hard food <laughs> that's what's gonna happen mm. so yeah no i mean it is a it's a positive and a negative but I think when it boils down to me, it is very much that thing of you only live once and you take it, you know, you take life by the balls mm-hmm. or by the reins or by whatever, because, you know, it is so stinking precious. Every A, a sneeze can cripple me. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, a sneeze cripples me, but in a different way. Mm-hmm, totally, yeah, I get yeah. it. It's a fart thing. Yeah, it's, well, that, well, no, it's, it's it's just the whole like, oh god, I'm sick. I'm oh no, I'm dying. Oh I no, like, I can't go out. Okay, I can't well, go, you know. Guess what, everyone? Fact, it's the hand sanitizer and, no, and besides, they probably don't want me there anyway. You know, <laughs> I'm just gonna stay. In. I'm just gonna stay. In. You know what? Like every time they say hi and they smile, but you could tell that smile's fake. <laughs> Listen, I don't need your bullshit. <laughs> you really just pull off the handle. I said hi to Jake, and mm. he just hit went up and hit mm. me and said, "Sorry, I'm getting everyone sick." <laughs> And we went home and watched Great Expectations yeah, 12 good. times Thank in a row. Yeah, good. Thank God for that. Yeah. Thank God for that film that is a real upper. <laughs> so, Smash, when you got into the Groundlings, when you got when you were working through uh, the actual program itself, yes. you had landed the gig SourceFed. Yes. Roughly about then. Yeah. During one of the show, during the student shows that they were during doing. The, yeah, some of the student shows that I did. And uh, I had a, you know, a 
teacher, a director, teacher, um, a director that, like, you know, put up a power wow show is what it was called. It's basically students just get up and play and do stuff. And I think someone had seen me there and then told me to audition for this thing that they were putting up. And uh, basically his name was, uh, Phil DeFranco is a really big YouTuber. And I was very new to the YouTube world. I didn't even know it was a world. But it's a very big, significant world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's a really big YouTuber, and he got a million dollars from Google to put up whatever show he wanted to do. And he basically wanted to do a little show uh, of kind of a smaller version of his, where it was called 20 Minutes or Less. And he wanted us to um, basically boil down, you know, five news segments in, you know, less than 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So you're watching a news program, i.e. But then he got these hosts, and I remember auditioning for it, and I mainly did it because it was an opportunity to where you could write your own stuff, and I yeah. think that's always, a, a, especially as a woman in comedy, that is ideal, because then you get to go, this is me, this is my voice, and, and no one else is going to say what I don't want to say, and I'm not going to fight anyone, and so it's a really good chance for that, so... We wrote, you know, a piece, I think it was more pop culture leaning in the beginning. And so we wrote these pieces and I auditioned with these guys and then me and two guys got picked to be the faces of SourceFed, which is, you know, and it, it just started off and it, it really, because of Phil too, it, it took off like nobody's business because he already had a built-in audience and mm-hmm. and now we're 2 million almost subscribers two years later and, you know, we're one of the top news channels on YouTube and, you know, it's it's taken me to a place where I didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. It was just an unreal, you know, it's it's a different world. Again, I was not familiar with YouTube, but it's been wonderful because I've had these killer co-hosts that have been, that have written me in a wonderful way, and I write them in a really fun way, and we all 100% get along humoristically, mm-hmm. if that's a word. Humoristically. Just used. Yeah, you've used um, it enough times. And yeah, humoristically, we get along humoristically. Um, but we get along in the same exact tone of humor, which is, miraculous in this town you know mm-hmm. where the same things make us giggle the same things and we all want the same things out of it too you know you want to be a little bit of a change you want to help this generation see what you know the world is and what it has to offer and they bitch all the time that we do justin bieber and syria in the same day but you know it's news it's mm-hmm. news and it's what you know is important we try and you know kind of pander a little bit towards both of those but our demographic is 18 to 25 year old males which is 75 percent of them and and then 25 percent of you know adorable 18 to 25 year old women too but it's a it's an interesting generation that i you know i'm kind of privileged to be a part of in mm-hmm. that sense mm-hmm. but yeah it's just unreal it's kind of got yeah because because what two years ago you i remember two years ago you're going like okay so What's Twitter? What's Twitter? Yeah, yeah, two years ago, they told me, they're like, you need to do a Twitter. And then I was like, nah, I don't need to do it. That's not a thing. And then they made me sign up for Twitter. And then now I have 120,000 Twitter followers. Uh-huh. And, you know, and now it's a totally different beast. And it's a very weird thing to go out and be recognized. Mm-hmm. And I was throwing a fit the other day in Target <laughs> as mm-hmm. a joke. I was on the floor saying I didn't want to go to the home goods section. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and yeah and someone came over and i thought they were gonna like you know be like hey ma'am you got to get up and leave and i said they're like you're lee newton and i was like shit <laughs> like you're doing oh, a bit no, i'm doing a bit can you leave i look crazy <laughs> but yeah it's a very weird world to be you know recognized by 12 year old boys everywhere and mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of crazy but it's also we have amazing viewers and amazing fans and recently we got to go to vidcon which is Essentially, like, a con for all of the big YouTube world and mm-hmm. to be able to put a face to these, you know, usernames that are just writing comments down below was unreal and it was overwhelming. It was mm-hmm. just, you know, there's thousands of people in a line for your signature and you're like, why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah. Why? At the end of the day, why? But mm-hmm. it's very weird to be able to, like, 
be a friend of someone because whereas on TV you have you know that person you know so Jim Parsons from Big Bang Theory um, but then here they're your friend they know yeah. everything about you they know you know they get to comment on your videos it's mm-hmm. a different personal level that I think that's probably where our whole society and television and all that medium is going I well, really do the powers that be so to speak the air mm-hmm. quotes powers that be uh, everybody that's it's got money for advertisement and that sort of thing are always trying to court that exact demographic because they have the most dispensable amount of money yeah. and the most inordinate amount of need that keeps on yes. seething from them call of duty one two three keep giving me games give me okay, game. yeah, yeah give me something to distract me from the fact that <laughs> I live with my parents no, exactly but, um, yeah, but true but yeah, sometimes true uh, but also it's a, it's a weird loyalty like mm-hmm. you know I mean think about it like what Hearkened to you when you were eighteen and twenty-five, i.e., Jimmy World. Yeah, Jimmy World. There's more played. get-up kids. Okay, there's more, more the get-up kids. I was yeah. listening to them on the way. But, up. Were you really? Because, yeah. but like, doesn't it like it has a weird like thing in your soul that you still go? Oh, it puts you back to that place, mm-hmm. and there's still a weird dedication. I, oddly enough, I'm still dedicated to Sarah McLachlan. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. I have so much of her music, and I don't like it anymore. <laughs> but I still feel a tender connection with it from mm-hmm. that age of. It's a developmental age. It's one of those mm-hmm. things where you're going. This is a part that's making me. Well, you know? I think there's a part like there's a reason why that's when people get conscripted into the military and all different forms of society because between 18 to 24 you get the most amount of the strength and wherewithal and your cerebral cortex is still forming but you've got that moment of going I have to believe in something yeah I have to choose luckily we didn't have we didn't have to kill Hitler or or Mao or anything like that so we just like I'm just gonna for me I like I'm gonna believe in privileged white boy sadness (laughs) this is gonna be really good I won the genetic lottery I live in the latter half of the 20th century mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm a white male like like blue hoop or me but it is going to, but, but I'm I, so I tried sometimes. calling her and she didn't get back to me to I don't think that she likes me I mean she makes up but you can tell she doesn't mean it <laughs> but yeah. like you know yeah. <laughs> she makes out with me and stuff and yeah. she calls me back sometimes Some, on her own time oh the ache oh, oh the, the, ache. the pain yeah. oh the agony so you've got these source fed people that are that are the fans that are leaning towards you in droves and yeah. th- now the difference between not just not just the way the fan interacts, but just what is it the content that you guys create because it's it's decidedly different from television shows. Yes, I think mm-hmm. it is decidedly different. It's you know we always say if we're pitching it to people, we always say it's the Daily Show meets the Soup. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's news, but again done in an entertaining and satirical way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I think it's just it's that unfortunate. It's that three minutes of brain time Mm -hmm. because that's all you can ever hope for anyone you know and it's just that three minutes of like here's the news and three minutes of brain time and we always try and do it in a fun entertaining way because that's that's all i ever want to watch i always want to put out what i want to watch because you know if i'm not going to watch it then neither are they yeah you know and i think that's a weird thing that we always forget like if i don't like listening to it if i don't get something out of it creatively Mm -hmm. why am i putting it out there yeah you know and it is that weird like you know you are your own quality control Mm -hmm. because that's and that's very much the world of YouTube of like, you know, well, it's just a whole bunch of creators trying to create stuff. Whether or not it's absolute shite is mm-hmm. a totally different story. And it's not, you know, there is, there's just poop out there on there. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, a nightmare. You're like, this kid doing a sketch, stop now. Yeah. But he's still doing it and it's still a creative outlet. And then mm-hmm. there's other people that you see a good neighbor's a good example of putting their stuff up on YouTube that you go, oh, and now two of them are SNL cast members. Yeah. You know, like, so it's a very, it's such an amazing, huge world. But at the end of the day, 
you get to be your own quality control. Yeah. And that was a real big thing for us is that we knew what we wanted to put out there. And mm-hmm. that was it. Was and being that, able to police yourself is a difficult thing, yeah. especially when you give yourself imaginary time. And yeah. Yeah. When you give yourself the deadline, you go like, well, who's really, I mean, like, are we, do we have a responsible for sponsors? And you go like, no. Oh, why do we have it? Let's just, just do and it. And even when we do, and, and it gets really dark because when we do do do-do. <laughs> 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 but when we do sponsors, we all feel a little hoary doing yeah. it. You're all like, oh, here's a kick to this, and it feels uncomfortable. But then at the end of the day, you also forget that that's the reason why you're able to do it. The lights are on. That's, that's why you're running, you know, 14 different, you know, salaries. And, and mm-hmm. it is a, a really, it's something that I've learned throughout the whole process is that it's everyone. It's such a team effort. And I think that was one reason why I, I don't think I could be an alone comedian. Yeah. I don't think I can do that because it's such that's such a journey. So I have my co-host and then I have an editor that's kick-ass and has his own thing that he's getting out of it that mm-hmm. he's putting through and you know what I mean? And then you have the fans that get a totally different thing out of it. So it's just, it's such a community. And mm-hmm. that's one difference between this and television is that it is literally there, you know, it takes a village. Well, it definitely seems like there is a, tre- obviously the trends in comedy continually move and change and change. Yeah. Uh, if, if you go back to any of the early uh, SNL days, like between like 76 to 81, you look and you go like, man, all these like huge sketches that some still play really well. Yeah. And other ones you hear this audience is dying and you're going like, I, I, don't, I don't know how the don't. context, I don't always just, yeah. This is so broad. You watch Comic Relief from the 80s and you go like, man, are they tr- trying to tell these jokes to the Hubble Telescope? Yeah, it's, what is yeah. going on? Yeah. And then it's like, hands out, doing the thing. You know? And it's just these huge caricatures mm-hmm. of themselves. And yeah, mm-hmm. and, it, and I think it's also so like, why, whereas everything changes, mm-hmm. everything's changing. So yeah. now someone says like, and I called this girl and five hours later, and you're like, why didn't you text her? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you should have just texted her. So it's those weird things that you know, now won't hit at no. all, but, you know. Well, do you think, I mean, obviously the reason why um, The Lonely Island works so well is because they were able to actually say, like, we're going to we'll, we're gonna hang out on a Sunday and do this, yeah. and we'll show you what we got, and they were actually able to tell a joke in an editing story. Yes. They were actually able to frame something and, and to cut in and do that. Do you think that, I mean, obviously that is, is kind of hitting at the mumble core, like what the Duplass brothers are doing with film, when everybody's yeah. doing it, to be able to tell the jokes in the way that they're doing it, you know, which is basically just time and framing yes. and, and timing, yeah. you know, Tim and, Tim and Eric doing what they do. When you're moving on beyond that sort of kind of comedy, there's this, there's a YouTube humor. Yes. That's specific to YouTube. Yes, there is a very specific YouTube humor. I have not figured out necessarily (laughs) what it is yet. I know that, to be honest, it is very... um, Watch a cartoon nowadays. Like, watch any cartoon and how, you know, like, even with Adventure Time, which I freaking love, yeah, and, like, uh, even Phineas and Ferb. And, I went as, and I went as uh, Finn. For, I know. Yeah. You, you guys did a great for Halloween. job. Yeah. Great job. It was a, I, my costume included shorts, which was a big mistake <laughs> on an October <laughs> night. Mistake. On a cold October night. You should have had some leggings. Buddy. I should have. I should have. I you know, we got to think it through. But, no, I mean, even those huge things, it's all... It's all hugeness. It's all just over the top. Mm-hmm. And just like, and if you look at the people that are really huge on YouTube, they are going to an extreme. And it almost goes back to those 1980s comic it relief does. things. And it, that's what's it so seems like everybody's is, doing like a Del Arte kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah, where it's just like, everything's over the top. Oh, my God. Oh, you know? Like, was like yeah. that? Just, what the? PewDiePie's another uh-huh. big one. Toby Turner's another big one mm-hmm. where you just go like, they are caricature mm-hmm. people. Yeah. But because of the 18 to 25, it's just, it's almost like, 
you know, for lack of a better phrase or term or whatever, you're spoon feeding comedy. Yeah. You're going, this is funny because it's so over the top. And, and you it's can't so help loud but and look at it. You can't help but, yeah, it really is. Because I'm jamming Jim it into your the eye rolls. You yeah. know, in the beginning, you were like, oh, this is a lot. But then you go, but no, no, it's so funny because mm. it's just so crazy and so over the top and so wild. And I think that's the specific tone of YouTube. It is changing a little bit. It's getting a little weirder, and we're able to do weirder things, especially with the gift of editing and all that. Mm-hmm. And I will say, it's a very interesting world to go from sketch comedy on the weekends where you're doing it in front of a live people, and you can't do a cutaway. You can't do a the yeah. wig change super quick. You can't do a, you know, zoom in. Mm-hmm. But, and then going weekdays to do where it's like, okay, and then I pop up into frame, and you do a star wipe, and we, you know, like, yeah. all those different things that... It's a very interesting to be able to work different sides of the brain in that sense, but it's definitely a certain type of humor. It's mm-hmm. definitely, and it is, it's that over-the-top caricature. It's not, there's very little cerebral stuff happening mm-hmm. on YouTube that's getting traction. Yeah. Because, again, it's those 18, to, you know, it's, think of what you were watching when you were 12. If you watch TMNT nowadays, you're like, man, uh. this is a lot, and they have the cheesiest, stupidest jokes. But, you know, when you're 12 to 25, you're like, I'm in. Yeah. You got it. I don't care. You know, it's it's that spoon feeding of this is what's funny, and you know this because I'm being so crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm being so over the top. You yeah. know, and stylistically, there also must be a need for differentiation from their parents who are all at home watching yes. The Office, which is this subtle British yeah. humor that that kind of wry, like you know, kind of just toss it over the fence and see if it it explodes, like yeah. a, like a maybe grenade of a joke. Right. But then, yeah, like yeah, so they do the whole bust down the door thing. It seems as though every single generation does something just a little bit different from their parents in order yeah. to kind of go, this in is order to go, this is mine and this mm-hmm. is why it's so funny and and even like you know just it's such a even the effects of things and we were like uh elliot uh, my co-host he said it was so wonderful but he said jump cuts are the laugh track of our generation yeah you know That's and smart, it, it's so yeah he's incredibly intelligent but it was just such like a mm-hmm. oh shit moment where you're like that is whereas we had lucy where they laugh you know they put a laugh track here and you go oh this is where i'm supposed to laugh mm-hmm. the jump cut is like here's the punchline mm-hmm. here's a punchline coming up is a jump cut oh jump jump and cut 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 you know like it really is. It's the laugh track of our generation of, you know, where we don't think about it. We don't, you know, but you're sitting there going, oh, uh, the minutia was edited out. Mm-hmm. All this stuff that you'd have to see normally in, you know, real life was mm-hmm. completely edited out to where I go, set up, set up, punch, mm-hmm. set up, set up, punch. It becomes this, like, this candy, this distilled yes. sort of information yeah, that's just being is, thrown at to you. To where it's just a perfectly formed joke. I do think it's also one of those a reason why it's moving things progressively on TV and all those things are moving that way of, like, these perfectly distilled jokes where, you know... I don't know. It it gets difficult to, like, go, where is comedy going with this next generation coming up in the YouTube world and then finding the weirdest things funny and Mm -hmm. finding, you know... Well, I think that there's a lot of kids that were were born and and studied Andy Kaufman and and thought he was absolutely hilarious. And, of course, he was, but he was also just had a lot of, like undercurrent of commentary about yeah. things you know like like why does this matter why yeah. like, like like the theater of it all but then you've got people like tim and eric that are doing what they do which is just so odd and so out and so bizarre yeah. anybody over at adult swim that like all those shows that are getting uh, approved are, are are pretty much andy kaufman's uh, grandchildren yes you know? exactly and uh, and i think it's 
great. I think it's phenomenal. But the difficulty in describing it and the difficulty of figuring out what that is, I don't know if the YouTube generation has that or if that's just like the powers that be going like, well, you're 35. You you were a staff writer at so-and-so. You yeah. think you're like, this might work. You, you, you seem yeah. to think that it's going to work. So here's $11,000 with <laughs> like six episodes. Like, exactly. Oh, you know, yeah. so it, it is a weird, like, you know, you try and figure out what is going to actually be the thing that moves forward. And I think a lot of it, goes back to a weird ADD generation, you know, mm. for lack of a, you know, not in any derogatory way towards attention deficit disorder or mm. their needs. Mm. Um, but it really is that, like, that's just our generation. The three-minute news, the two-second, the 30-second clip, I skip every ad mm. on everything because yeah. I can't. I can't d- dedicate that amount of time mm. to my brain. Can't do it. Mm. So I think it's that weird, you know, like, you boil, you give me what I need in mm. this moment right away kind of a thing. And mm. so... That's going to be the slow thing now, and so I eat a fifteen-minute children's hospital on yeah. Adult Swim, and like which is really eleven minutes if we're calling it exactly. Space, and it's yeah. the weirdest, and it's the you know, and and you can't describe why it's funny. You can't mm. describe what hits in, and it's just that weird. Like I know it tickles some part of my brain, and it's super quick, and it's super funny, and mm. we get out, you know. Mm. But it is. It's a weird little. It's a mm. weird little thing to figure out the yeah. progression of comedy. Yeah. Well, I want to digress a little bit back to where you were talking about uh, being able to write your own stuff. There was, uh, was it Adam Carolla was talking about women can't be funny? Yeah. 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 Him doing, him doing that wide swath thing, which is basically him just chumming the waters. Yeah, it literally is. Guys, I'm still, I'm still current. I'm still around. Guys, look, Adam Carolla's a thing. I had a man show with the other guy. I wonder what he's doing now. Yeah. Honestly, it's a weird, like, people always ask me that weird thing because there is such a, a weird connotation of women can't be funny. And in a weird way, I agree with them, you know, and I I don't, I wouldn't say... Yeah, I would say it's not it's it's not because they can. It's because like at the end of the day, like the opportunity hasn't necessarily been given us. You know mm. what I mean? Like I think we grew up with amazing parents that were yeah. like, "You want to do it?" And, and let's be honest, I'm almost crazy and funny and weird. You know, yeah. like she's she's out there and she's just she's wonderful and she's never hesitated to like hold her personality back. And I think that was a big part of what made me grow up going, "Oh, I can do this. Oh, this isn't a big deal." And you know, she's feminist to an extent, and you know, like. But also really believe in yourself and move forward and be who you are, you mm-hmm. know? And that was that was ingrained in me from a very early age, but not in most everyone else in society. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, I was told from day one, here's a baby doll and here's this. And, you know, whereas you can smash cars and you can do this, that, and the other thing. And I think there's a bigger opportunity given towards men to be that funny. And it is such a weird world, you know, like, I mean, even just growing up, uh, I'm struggling through weight all growing up, you know, Kevin James is freaking hilarious. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, like I either have to be real thin or I have to be Rebel Wilson, Yeah. you know, like I, or I have to be Melissa McCarthy. I either have to be incredibly brave and really funny through all of that, mm-hmm. or I have to be still sexy and Zoe Deschanel, yeah. you know, like it's a very hard middle ground to find, you mm-hmm. know, Mindy Kaling kind of does it okay, but she had this bullshit <laughs> like thing where she was like, oh, like I started doing stand up because like, you know, I, I, I noticed that there wasn't any funny women out there and yeah. I was like, all these f- women were there and they weren't funny. It's like, but don't you want to compare Like, why is it just women you're comparing yourself to? Like yeah. for me, I want to be funny. I don't want to be funny as a woman. I want to be funny. Yeah. Like, I want you to laugh no matter what. I don't, I don't like the whole, like, oh, well, you know, like, you're funny for a girl. Like, screw it. Like, yeah. I'm funny. Mm-hmm. Screw you. But, again, I was grown up with that whole, you know, nature versus nurture thing of believe in yourself and do what you want to do. But I think women can't be funny, as funny as they want to be. And so I think from day one, you know, we're, we're told to hold back. Mm-hmm. You know, we're told to not, you know, do those things and certain things look worse than others. And you're told to 
act a certain way. So whether or not women are funny or aren't as funny as men, I don't necessarily think it's their fault, Mm -hmm. you know, but... Well, I think archetypically in writing, they were always just the thing that pushed the story to the third act. Yeah, and I think, you know, and and again, like, I think it's changing by all means. Mm -hmm. You know, we have those people out there like Kristen Wiig and Ryan Rudolph writing one of the highest grossing comedies of our time, Mm -hmm. you know, because it painted this picture of like, yeah, sometimes they argue about poop, you know, like sometimes that happens. Well, it's said that that has to be, that has to be considered brave when it's just an experience of every single human. Yeah. And Mm. I think, you know, I do, I honestly think it's progressing, but I also very much understand where society is. And I very much understand that it has, you know, like, I I hate to be the person that's like, oh no, society is bringing women down. But at the end of the day, like, it's kind of one of those things of, yeah, but I was told if I was being super goofy, I wasn't told I was hilarious. I was told I was weird, mm-hmm. you know? And so that, that's where, and I just barreled through that. Yeah. I was like, yeah, cool. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm going to stay weird then. Cause mm-hmm. that's where I like to be. That's where I like to have, you yeah. know, but I had acceptance all growing up. So mm-hmm. I think it's that weird thing of like, you know, society dictates whether or not a woman can be funny. And it also is bullshit in the sense that, you know, you look at some of the top writing women are just absolutely hilarious. And some of the funniest people I know on this earth are women. And so it's not that we can't, it's that it's just such a bigger battle for us to be accepted and to be able to do what we want to do. And, you know, even from the simplest little things, like I'll pitch a sketch at Groundlings and I won't be able to do it because it'll just be too weird and too off the wall. But Mm -hmm. if a guy pitches it, he'll get a chance Mm -hmm. you know so it is there's still that weird little battle that you have to you have to fight for what you know is funny Mm -hmm. and i know you know and unfortunately too another big part of it is whether or not an attractive woman is willing to make herself unattractive Mm -hmm. some of my best characters that people you know that go over so well are these hideous people Mm -hmm. because it's such a brave thing for women to you know Mm -hmm. completely take any sexuality out of anything and you're like or it's just fucking funny no matter what you know like or it's just that's the way it's gonna be and you know flip it and reverse it kevin you would never see a kevin james william remini as a male and female you would never see the like very corpulent woman with a rail thin husband that had it under control you'd be like where did what happened to him what did she look like what did she yeah did she let herself go he must be just a chubby chaser oh maybe he's a huge yeah he loves fat chicks Mm -hmm, like you just wouldn't see it and it's not it's just the you know it's just the beauty and the horribleness of society where it's just like that's what taught me I was supposed to be a certain way and I do think we're branching out of it but I think Adam Carolla says it because he's a shock jock and mm. you know because he can't figure it out but I don't think he's wrong and I also think that there's certain you know there's double standards on every level of everything mm-hmm. they have to have a woman writer in the writing group whether or not that person's contributing or not yeah. you know whether or not she's actually being efficient or not because of the you know so I think I'm, I don't know I'm kind of a believer of like it's moving towards what you know towards a change but being in the world that we're living in it's just it's i think it's kind of always going to be one of those things that the few will get through you know it'll slowly dissipate i think over the yeah. time I mean, hopefully i mean there's there seems to be with the level of content that is desired from people over and over again like they they want more and more to distract them you know and, and because we have the devices and yeah. capabilities to do it anywhere and everywhere we go yeah. so we're just becoming these huge machines for taking in information and information in a creative and fun way so there's just such a vacuous there's a need that yes. is constantly need to oh, be filled yeah. so it's a the meritocracy of like, are you good? Can you do this in two hours? Go, yeah. go, you know? Yeah. And regardless of whether or not you have a penis or a vagina, like sit ass and seat. If you can't deliver, then you got to go Bobby or yeah. Bobby with an eye, you know? Yeah, exactly. Bobby with, with an eye, or uh, I eat, or, you know? Yeah. yeah, no, and it, it is, I think it is changing and I hope that it, it gets to that point where no one ever says, it, you know, it's weird anymore. But I also know that like, 
there it is a weeding out factor. It's mm. like, you know, whether or not that person's going to go, okay, screw you, fine, I'm going to continue doing this. Mm. And this is my livelihood, you know? And so it's just, you know, you got to, there's so many societal issues with gender mm. that you're going to have to break through no matter what. Mm. So whether or not we can be funny, it's, it's, I don't think it's a question whether mm. or not women can be funny, whether or not we're funnier than men. Funny. Well, we're not necessarily perceived the same. So I don't mm. think it's an even playing field either way, mm. you know? But I oh. think it's changing. Yeah. I.e. Lucy, come on, Lucille Ball changed television mm-hmm. completely, you know? And that was, you know, how many years ago? Mm-hmm. Come on, figure it out, guys. <laughs> Seven years, years ago. ago. Several, Several years, years ago. A long time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> many, many dogs' <laughs> lives, yeah. There was so many, so at least seven dogs' mm-hmm. lives, well... But yeah. Well, awesome, Smash. I think we got, yeah. got some good stuff here. Fantastic. Yeah. We, we talked about the state of comedy. We talked about uh, a few things. We'll, we'll have you on in a couple more weeks, and ah, we'll, we'll get fantastic. into the deeper, deeper stuff. Yes. Right now, I think we should go back in uh, to the house and eat. Uh, and eat some more. That's what we do. we haven't done enough of that no. at the Newton household. No, that's all we do at the Newton household. Right. We eat and we play games. All right, cool. Love you, Smash. <laughs> Love you. So that is my kid sister, Lee Newton. For those of you who did not know her, now you are acquainted. You can check out her work at SourceFed.com or Lee Newton Says on Twitter. I am a very, very proud big brother. But I'm going to have to leave you now. I need to go and make sure that, uh, make sure that I hide the rest of that ice cream from the Third Reich. They're the only safe places, my tummy for that ice cream and I need to make sure that it makes it safe passage to the toilet good lord alright so tomorrow morning bright and early as the sun rises I will be strapping on my running shoes and drinking raw eggs and and having children follow behind me a la Rocky 2 and uh well was it Rocky 2 or Rocky 1 I'm not gonna get into the semantics of the Rocky films right now I need to go to bed go to bed Jake sleep on your side so you don't choke on your own vomit like some 60s rock star go to bed continue to spread the word about shark brain subscribe to the podcast uh go to sharkbrainpodcast.com and you can download any and all episodes we've ever done you can uh leave a comment maybe send an email for recommendations of future guests go to jakenewton.com and you can get merch check out new tour dates there's more coming up and uh gotta start working on the next record tomorrow After my run, of course. Maybe lift a few weights. Uh, Maybe maybe rub my tummy a little bit. Uh, I don't feel good. Shark brain.